Let's pray. God, I pray that that truth that we were just singing about, that the resurrected king is resurrecting us, that he has accomplished all that needed to be accomplished. That the completed work of Christ is all that we need to be made alive in you, to be added to your family, adopted as sons and daughters, receiving an inheritance unlike anything that we could have possibly imagined. And God, I just thank you that that we continue to be reinforced in this idea that you have done all that it takes and we don't need to add anything on top of that. So God, I pray that this morning you would just send your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts. Um, Just again, reminding us that we can trust you, that we can rely on you, and that you are all that we need for salvation. You are all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You can go ahead and turn back to Galatians chapter 3. We're continuing, uh, just like I was just praying, we're still continuing with it to hammer home this idea, the central theme from the book of Galatians, that we just need the gospel and we need nothing more than that. There's, there's nothing that needs to be added. There's nothing that gets stacked on top. There's nothing that we need to go back and pull from somewhere else to make sure that we're in good favor with God. The gospel says that the work of Jesus was enough, that we have been saved by grace and we are justified by our faith in Jesus. That's it. That's everything. That's, that is the gospel. But, but as we've seen, People continued to confuse the church, and even now, the church can continue to become confused by different things, different voices that can creep in that say, but you need this, or what about this, or we should add these things as well. And Paul is continually kind of grabbing the church by the cheeks and saying, look at me, Jesus is enough. You don't need all these other things. You don't need to eat these meals in this way. You don't need to practice these traditions in this way. That's not what is going to save you. But why do those things even, why, why does the law even exist, right? Or, or even worse, maybe this is a better question. Why are parents so mean? Why are parents like defining their entire life by making sure that their kids are not allowed to have any fun. Why why won't teachers let kids do anything more than be assigned homework and sit quietly and listen? Why are these authority figures so awful? Why won't pastors let us do things that are fun? Why, why, Why do these things exist? Why, why even have rules? If, there's, if, if we're saved by grace through our faith in Jesus, and that's enough, why do we need the law? Why do we even need these rules? And that's one of the things that Paul is going to begin to describe. Because here's the thing. Like, parents want kids to learn how to exist as, like, rational humans when they are adults. And having structure and rules and consequences prepare children for that time when they grow up and they begin to 
find interest in someone else and they get married when they're like 35 or 40. Maybe. Don't know. But they're hoping that by the time they send those kids out of their house, out from under their authority, that they understand how to reasonably exist as humans where they're not going to injure themselves or burn themselves on the stovetop or chop off their finger with a knife when they're preparing food or they're going to know how to, you know, like pay their, pay their bills or, you know, keep their house reasonably clean. I never learned that one, but I learned lots of things, but that wasn't one of them. But, but, but parents, authority figures, teachers, uh, supervisors, like there are structures that are, that are designed to keep those who are learning how to exist, what the standards are, right? To kind of train up the children so that once they go out, once they're ready to be adults, spouses, employees, whatever, th those rules early in life demonstrate kind of the expectations of what it looks like to be a mature existing human who's ready to, to be released into society, out into the wild. And I think a lot of what Paul starts to get into this week, because he's been making this whole point, you don't need all those traditions, you don't need all of that. And that leads to that natural example. Well then, if God was always going to save us through our faith in Jesus, why do we have the law? Like, why even give us that? Why, why do we even need that step if we can't just skip ahead to Jesus going ahead and justifying us by our faith. What is the purpose behind the law? And Paul's going to begin to explain some of that this morning. So if you're in Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 15. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For the, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise. So he's starting to kind of separate out two ideas here. He's been talking about justification by faith. This week he's going to kind of use this language of promise, that God promised to Abraham that he was going to save him and he was going to make him a great nation, and through that nation all the nations of the world would be blessed because, because this promise would be coming true through his offspring. Now, now there's a couple of ways that Paul's saying you could interpret that. You could think it's talking about all the children of Israel through through all the children of Abraham, that's going to save everything. Because through the children of Abraham came the law, came the rules, came the structure. And that's what's going to save it. He's saying, no, 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 no. No, God made a promise to Abraham 430 years before there was ever a law. Right? And he uses this example of a contract. If you sign a contract with somebody, then, then somebody tries to go back and change the terms of the contract after you've signed it. That doesn't work. You can't, you can't just change the language once every, all the parties have signed it. I, if, I, if I buy a house and then three years later somebody comes back and tries to pencil in that I owe them an extra 
I don't know, $20,000 on the house, that doesn't work. You can't change that after the contract's been signed. Does that make sense? That example that he's kind of beginning to give? He's saying, once, once you enter into an agreement with somebody, nobody changes or, or just undoes that contract. It's, 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 it's an agreement. You've set it in stone. And what he's saying is, the law didn't come to Abraham, right? It began with this promise that God made to him. And he said, I promise that I'm going to save the whole world, all the nations of the world, through you, through your offspring. And he's saying that word offspring, he means that singularly. Like he's talking about Jesus there. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's talking about through your offspring, Jesus, salvation will come. So there's this promise that's being made that justification by our faith in Jesus is, is exactly what he's telling Abraham. He's saying, I am promising this complete form of salvation, right? So, so from the beginning, it really was intended, just like we've been saying for several weeks at this point, it really was God's intent that our, our faith would be what justifies us ultimately. Now, 430 years later, there is this law given, and he's about to start explaining why that needed to be there. But, but he's trying to make this point that, that Abraham, just like we said last week, Abraham didn't live under the law. Abraham wasn't given the law. He wasn't given this structure. He was just given, have your, place your faith in me, follow me, and that is going to lead, you, lead to your salvation and the salvation for all the nations of the world. Right? That, that was the promise. And it was going to be completed through Christ. And so Paul is calling the church to go back to what the original calling of God was, to live by the promise of God rather than, rather than the law. So like live by faith, live by that promise, live by, like th that be, let, let your trust and your faith in God to be your salvation, be what, what defines you, not your obedience to a certain set of actions or to the law or to some sort of you know, ritual that you believe earns your favor with God. You see that difference? It's, it's, he, he's, he's changing the language to live by promise instead of saying you're justified by faith. But it's the exact same idea. It's the exact same idea. You're not, you're not basically forcing God to like you because you do things for him. Instead, it's God promised that he was going to save us through Christ. And that's good enough. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. The law then, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What is it he's trying to say? He's saying, we, just by nature of being human, have been born into sin. And I don't know about you, but we as humans have a knack for not thinking that we live in sin. We have this, this kind of confidence about ourselves that we don't do anything wrong. And it's not usually until somebody shows us where we're wrong, like we talked about last week, this idea of, of having to be 
of Paul kind of showing Galatians, hey, you're doing these things wrong and I need to show them to you. But, but what he's saying is the law was given because we needed to understand that we needed to be saved in the first place. Because we aren't naturally going to think, I need somebody to come in and save me. I need somebody to swoop in and save the day because I've got this. That's, that's, that's our typical, I mean, talking about kids needing structure, that was kind of, I, I just say I got this, and it reminds me of me when I was, what, 16? And I was, like, calling mom. She's like, you need to get off the phone. You're driving. I'm like, I'm fine. I got this. And then I hang up the phone and immediately rear in the car in front of me and total her van. Right? Like, like we need these structures in our lives to remind us that we don't got this. That was beautiful grammar for all of those English majors out there. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, the point is, God gave you this law so that it could reveal to you the transgressions that are present. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come whom the prom- to whom the promise had been made. So he's saying, I'm giving you this so that you can realize that you need a savior so that you're really looking forward to him when he gets here. I really want you to want salvation in the way that God has intended it by the time the salvation comes. And the way that I do that is to say, this is the standard by which I expect all people to live. This is what is holy. This is what is perfect. This is what is pleasing to God. And then you see that standard and you say, I can't do that. Like the law, you may be saying, but those, all the things in the law seem very unfair. Like they seem impossible. And Paul's saying, that's exactly the point. The whole point was so that you would realize that the stand, to, to, to live as holy as God would require for you to be a part of, of his family, to be welcomed in, is not a standard that any one of us can meet. There's no point in our lives where we are perfect. There's no point in our lives where we are able to live according to that standard. The law was meant to humble those who tried to live by it. That was the point of the law, to humble those who were trying to live by it. Which I I do kind of think is ironic, because those who were trying to reimpose the law on the church were completely incapable of living by that law that they're trying to, they're trying to say, no, we need to do these things, but they're not capable of doing these things. Like, we're not capable of fulfilling the law. It's just not in us. And that was what it was. We were, we were given the law so that, we could, so that it could demonstrate to us our need for deliverance from the law. Seems like that's a whole, and it's like, that seems like a whole lot of work for God to give this whole law just so we can realize that we can't do that. But we're so inclined naturally, maybe, maybe this is you sometimes, to feel invincible or that we understand enough, or that we're good enough, or that we do enough good, or that we're nice enough, or whatever it is, or that we're not as bad as we were the day before, that that's enough. But that standard, that, that picture of holiness, that picture of what God desires for his people to look like, is unwavering. It's not a sliding scale that's like, oh, you were better than you were yesterday, so that puts you on the inside, but now you were worse again, so you're out again. No, that's not the point. It's it's perfection. That's what God desires is perfection because God deserves to exist only in perfection, only with perfection. 
but we cannot make ourselves perfect. Some of you are rule followers, and everything is meant to be done the right way, and that's where you feel safe when everything is being done inside the friendly confines of rule following. But these standards, the standards of the law, cannot be fulfilled. You cannot achieve accomplishing living the law perfectly. So that feeling that those rule followers feel when you or someone that you exist near is acting outside of those rules, that kind of unfulfilled sense, that kind of empty sense that you feel, that's what the law was meant to make us feel, is that sense of unfulfillment because it's not what's going to deliver us. It's supposed to not feel good enough. Those standards that are being set are supposed to make us feel, wow, this isn't fixing anything. That's the point. Because, because the whole point of the law, well, here, we'll read this. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The whole point is that the law is to help us realize just how awful we are. Every single person who tried to live by the law was an awful person, just like us. That's from a different series, but it still applies. We're all still equally incapable of fulfilling the law. So he gave it to us to kind of act as a mirror to show us that we couldn't fulfill the law. But, but surely there was a more positive application of having law. Like, God didn't just give it just to make us feel miserable all the time, right? Well, let's keep reading because I think, I think Paul kind of begins to address that. Starting in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, so what's this kind of positive reason that God gave us the law? There's a couple of different examples that I came up with. One, one was the law was almost like when you go, when you're, when you're bowling, and you're like me and you're real bad, and so you, ha you, you have them turn on the, the bumpers so that you can't throw a gutter ball, right? It's there to kind of, kind of guide you toward where you're supposed to be going while you're learning how to get there. I've also heard it said, uh, the law kind of serves kind of like training wheels on a bike. Like, you're still trying to understand what, what all the mechanics are, how everything works. And so you kind of have this, and it talks about a guardian, right? The law is a guardian. It's like keeping you from skinning your knees while you're learning how to get the pedals going and how to brake and how to turn, that sort of thing, right? The law kind of serves in a guardian. It's kind of protecting you against the worst of yourself, the worst that you could do to yourself 
while you're, while you're waiting for complete fulfillment, complete understanding of how to do that. Right? The law was given to the people of God so that they could understand and begin to see what the standards are and what, and what perfection looks like so that they could begin to, to live like God, even though their hearts wouldn't completely be changed until Christ's work had been completed. And then once Christ's work was completed, then they're freed from the training. They can take the training wheels off, which was trying to live by those standards, living in the freedom that they get in Christ, which is a big concept that we're going to continue to talk about as we go forward into the book. But, but now, now we're, we're able to live that way, but we have this kind of baseline understanding of what God is calling us to live like because he gave us the law, which is reflected of the standards in the heart that he has. So like we were saying at the beginning, parents give their kids these rules so that the time comes when the rules are no longer needed because they're ready to kind of live out their lives in a way that now meets with what they were called to, what they've been trained for. The law was kind of given to the people of God to prepare them for living in the freedom of Christ. Because the temptation comes where where you're like, and now you're free in Christ. That means I can do whatever I want. No, we've still been given a standard. The law still reflects what God desires of us. But that's not the salvation. That's not how we're going to get saved. That's not how we're going to be a part of the family of God. That's not how we get in. But it still reflects the heart of God. So, so the use was that it was preparing his people for the time when they would be living in the freedom that would come with Christ. Because even when you're living under the law, I mean, they were still a little bit limited, right? Like, even when you're riding a bike on training wheels, you can't go as fast as when you don't have training wheels. You can't turn quite as sharp as when you don't have training wheels. You can't be nearly as sneaky, because those things are so rattly and loud. Like, like there, there are limitations to having kind of that guardian with you. So that once you're ready, and once, once full understanding of salvation came, and the law was lifted, they were ready to kind of experience a new way of living. A, a new, more complete way of living under God. Living in his promise. But he uses this language of being held captive under the law, just to kind of describe how unappealing going back to the law should look to us. Once Christ has completed his work, once we have the freedom that comes from salvation, living under the promise that was given to Abraham, right? Once we're under that promise, once we get to that point, we should, we should look back and be like, why would I want to go back to that standard? That was so much more difficult and impossible for me to attain. Christ has done everything. Let me just be in awe of what he has accomplished, right? I mean... It, what was it, Josh and the Big Wall? Veggie Tales, right? What is it, Paw Grape says? That's it, we should go back to Egypt. Don't you remember, snorkeling in the Nile, three square meals a day, it was paradise. And then what do they say to Paw Grape? We, I'm not gonna, should I do the voice? We were in slavery, <laughs> right? What? What Paul's saying is, when you were under the law, that was like being enslaved. Like you were trapped by all of that work. Christ has done all that you need to do. 
Why would that look more appealing now? Why would you want to go back to that life that you had? Jesus has done everything that it takes. Live in faith under him. Faith has come, and we no longer have to be slaves. We no longer have to be trapped into that. We're now sons and daughters of God. That's, that's where he's going next week. He kind of gives us a little bit of a preview here of this idea of being free. Putting on Christ means getting to put on the perfection of fulfilling the law that we can't attain on our own. Christ was our perfection. And though that's a standard we on our own cannot meet, when we live by the promise that Christ is our salvation, that the work of Jesus was enough, then God sees the perfection of Christ on us. We have met and fulfilled that impossible standard, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what it is that Christ has done. And he connects that back to that idea of baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's like, like we've, we've taught about baptism before. It's like this, it's this picture of you're going and you're dying to your old self. This idea that I have to, to save myself or, or my actions do it. I'm dying to that idea. And now I have this new life as I'm raised up out of the water in Christ. And he's saying, when you were baptized, when you, when you declared that to the people of God, that you were with them. You were baptized into this faith, which is, and that's where the biggest joy kind of comes from, is this idea that now we who are saved, we who are in Christ, having experienced salvation, having been baptized into that, now have this amazing oneness. And that's kind of where he ends with this beautiful picture of oneness in Christ, where he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. Like, when you were saved, you have a, now a new identity that is not one of, I, this individual human from, from this nation, of, of this race, of this gender, have to, have to earn my salvation by meeting this impossible standard. He's saying, no, now you are a child of God. You are one in Christ because of the work of Jesus. Because if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Whole new family. Whole new people. Whole new identity. And so what he's doing is he's calling the church to live by this promise that he made rather than living by the law, which just shows how impossible it is for us to earn God's favor. And, and I would imagine we all exist on some point of a spectrum between living by the law or living by promise. And I would imagine that day to day, things might even vary. Like some days you may not even realize, but you're living more trying to earn God's favor because the things that you're doing are motivated by, I'm just trying to make God like me, so I'm gonna do these things. Or, hey, I've been praying for this, maybe if I do this as well, God will give me the answer that I want him to give. You know, I think we can all kind of fall into that temptation sometimes. And maybe some of us are living by the promise that my faith is what saves me. That is my hope. But, but we can even get that wrong sometimes too in that, in that we say, okay, faith is what saves. Actions aren't required, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to get by on my faith and just let God be in control. And that's wrong too. Because our faith 
leads us to action. We've talked about that before. We talked about that when we went through the book of James. Like this idea that our faith on its own is meaningless. It's not faith if our faith doesn't lead to something, if it doesn't lead to some sort of change. And so, and so we've taken a couple of weeks to kind of begin to establish what, what Christ accomplished and how appealing that is and why the lo- what the law accomplished and how necessary it was to reveal certain things about ourselves to us, but how unappealing it ought to seem to be like, I'm going to live by that standard, or I'm going to try to earn the favor of God by that standard. And so I think the calling that, that, that Paul is giving to the church and the same thing that I would say to each of us is, What standard does your life reflect that you're living by? Like, like are you doing things to make God happier, doing things to make people happier, doing things to make the church like you? Or, do, or are you living by the fact that Christ has done all that needs to be done, his work is completed, and you now get to be a part of the family of God if your faith is in Jesus? Like, because to me, there is no comparison between those two lives. Like, one sounds awful. One sounds isolating. One sounds like it's all about who you are and what you're doing and all of that. And one sounds like it doesn't matter who you are. Christ has done all that needs to be done. Let's go. Come on. Come in. That sounds so much more appealing. And I think that even those of us who have been saved for a very long time can still sometimes lose sight that, you know what, Jesus is taking care of it. And I can just trust that his work is completed. I don't have to earn my salvation anymore. And to live in a way that demonstrates our, our, our hope is in him, our faith is in him, our, our trust in everything is in what he has already accomplished. And that we don't need to, to be afraid that we're not meeting a certain standard or that we're not liked in this way or we've not earned somebody's favor because of some action that we've taken. Because that's not, that's not the point. The point is Christ has done all that needs to be done for us to be saved and that we should we should be excited and like revel in that truth and and i mean and be driven to worship by that because he's he's made a way for us who are very different people from all sorts of different places to be one in him and that's what i'm really excited about where we're going because because now we're going to start talking about what what salvation begins to accomplish in us as we be as we place our faith in Jesus and then even more so we're going to start getting into the what does that start to look like as we live that out as sons and daughters of God as 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 now freed as those who are freed from the law and I'm really excited for us to kind of begin to now see more of Paul's kind of way to apply this truth that he's established up to this point let's pray God we're just so thankful that the work is done and that we are no longer having to work so hard to try to earn your favor because that was never what it was that you wanted, God. Your desire was always that we would have our faith in you and realize our need for you, our need for deliverance, our need for salvation. And so God... I pray that you would reveal in our hearts those areas where we may be trying to maintain control. We may be trying to still earn your favor by some action that we're taking. And God, I just pray that you would instead 
soften our hearts. Show us how we are unable to meet that standard. Humble us so that we realize our need for salvation, our need for you. And God, I just pray that you would uh, call us to be people who live by that promise, live by faith, are not, are not trapped in a desire to control and manage aspects of our salvation in our life, but rather uh, are ready to let go and trust that you have, you have done all that needs to be done to save us and that you are just as in control of everything else in your creation. And so God, I just pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us those areas of our lives where we are in sin or where we have limited understanding of what your word actually says and need to, to grow or study even further. And God, I just pray that you would drive us toward worship as we realize what it is that you have accomplished through the work of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.